I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Woof. It is Monday, which means it's time for the Front Free Weekend Review with me, Adam Bolwood, the one and only Chris Hennage. Good evening. And of course, Dave O'Brien. Woof. Woof indeed. Another exciting weekend of football action. We are here to review it all. The Premier League, La Liga, Europe. Also going to give our Player of the Week, as always. Um, Lawrence, of course, uh, still gallivanting around Europe. Um, I think he went to see Barcelona. Did he today, Dave? Mm, Barcelona Espanol. Yeah. Uh, Lionel Messi, masterclass. I wish someone would fund uh, a trip around Europe for me. You know, Maybe for me and you, Dave. Maybe for me, you and, and Chris. Yeah, let's do it. I wish a certain YouTube channel would do that for us. But, um, you know, looks like our <laughs> dreams will remain just that. Dreams. Anyway, moving swiftly on. Let's, uh, <laughs> let's talk the weekend's Premier League action today's big game uh, on Super Sunday um, as one particular broadcaster calls it Manchester City winning 2-1 Dave against Arsenal moving up to second in the Premier League coming from behind to win uh, were you impressed with uh, Pep Guardiola's team today Dave? Not in the first half but in the second half yeah they came out and it seemed like he'd given them a real rollicking in the dressing room and Leroy Sane who was very very poor in the first half in an attacking sense but especially in a defensive sense wasn't covering his fullback at all and um, leaving him exposed and was one of the reasons why Arsenal were you know getting into the final third and really dominating that area on the counter-attack but then no, they did so well in, in that second half Sterling, Sane very very good and then Kevin De Bruyne pulling the string so it was a it was a good performance in the second half for City first half they made to work on that the midfield was too slow Yaya Torre, Fernando and um, Silva in the first half they were a bit too far apart a bit disjoint in there Arsenal were getting in those gaps. Arsenal, effort-wise, after that second goal went in um, for City to take the lead, was very, very, very poor. There was no fight back. There was no sort of, you know, that anger, aggression from them. You know, Sanchez was walking around. Mesut was walking around. Chamberlain, other than he run in, he came on at half-time. It was, it was just a poor performance from Arsenal in the second half. It was a disappointing performance from Arsenal, wasn't it, Chris? I mean, they had been on a great run, but that's now back-to-back defeats. Not only that, but defeats where they had been in the lead, uh, losing 2-1 uh, against Manchester City and, of course, Everton earlier in the week. They've now lost three games from leading positions this season, more than they did in the whole of last season. So for all this talk of a new Arsenal, an Arsenal with a newfound character, is it just the same old Gunners? That's that's what I think could be said. It was interesting. There was a debate between um, Miguel Delaney and someone else on Twitter. I forget who it was. I wasn't familiar with them. Sorry. And they were talking about the idea of narrative and whether this is something that people are conveniently putting together for their own uh, edification. I think honestly, if you go back sort of post Arsenal's last title, it does seem as if there's been this very bizarre fragility at least on the mental side passed down to all the players that come onto the onto the team and again you look at the Jekyll and Hyde nature of the performance today you look at the fact they went down to an Everton side that they had a man advantage against it's a team that when I said the other week I couldn't see them going further in the semi-final and second in the league I talked about the fact that I think they let you down in the big moments and for very different reasons the games against Everton and Man City were big moments and it's it's one of those things where I look at it now and I actually say, for all the talk of will they pay Alexis Sanchez, 
does Alexis Sanchez really want to stay there? To be to be very focused from his mindset or from his viewpoint for a second, he's potentially going to commit his best years at club level to Arsenal if he signs this new deal. Would you want to do that knowing that realistically you don't look like title winners right now? And it's not a cash issue. Arshen Wenger has said they have a lot of uh, cash to spend. It just seems like they don't want to spend it, which is, is again, utterly bizarre. Where does Sanchez go from here if he does leave Arsenal? Just to, to take it on that tangent for a moment, because obviously he comes from Barcelona, so you'd assume Real Madrid would be uh, a dead end. Are we talking PSG? Are we talking Bayern Munich? Who is potentially going to be in for, for the Chilean? I, I talked about PSG the other day because I, I think they're after that sort of talismanic forward in the wake of Ibrahimovic leaving. I guess you could argue City. The, the problem is you're going to have to pay a premium if he moves domestically. There's no way that uh, Arsenal are going to allow him to the go. The well-trodden path of uh, of Arsenal to Manchester City. That's uh, yeah. an interesting option. I mean, it is. It's a, it's a difficult one because there are so many moving parts in regards to... If Sanchez really wanted to, he could try and force a move. Equally, City might just be willing to pay whatever they want for a, what is a reliable forward who has a little bit of versatility to him. So I don't think he'll be short of suitors, even if right now we can't theorise a, a multitude of, of options for him. I think there will always be clubs that are interested in a player of his quality. It's just getting the specifics of figures and what Arsenal would want. I just think, yeah, it is an interesting one because there is a lot of talk of, of Sanchez's future, but, but the, the potential options out there might be might be slightly limited. Um, I mean, on Arsenal, Dave, still, uh, Chris there makes a good point about how the Gunners do potentially uh, let themselves down almost in those big moments. Potentially worrying for them is defensively. I mean, Petr Cech has now gone eight consecutive Premier League games without a clean sheet for the first time in his career. There was sloppy defending again from Arsenal. Um, is that a concern for Arsene Wenger? Um, I think it's a bit of a concern, but Mustafi's covered it. He's done so well. And obviously, he's a bit out injured at the moment. Um, and well, I think since he's been injured, Arsenal have gone on to lose two games. So I think his relationship was con- with Koscielny was starting to be up there with the best in the league. So obviously, that's a big blow. You lose um, your top centre-back. You bring in Gabriel, who's looked OK in spells in the Premier League, but for me, isn't a Premier League defender. He'd suit Italy, he'd suit Spain, you know, where he was before. It's a little bit um, you know, less physical. Uh, and, a, and a bit easier to to come out with the ball in the, in those leagues, but yeah, Mustafi was awesome, really, really good performance. I think it, I think it's, he's been missing in these last two games, and they've they've really lacked that at the back, that leadership. And again, that was the issue that there was nobody stepped up. Koscielny, obviously, I think he, he had the armband today, but didn't really get the players up in the second half when they needed someone to to stand up. And and you usually expect that from somebody in your back line, yours, you know, either your goalkeeper as the captain or you or your centre half. And it was it was a problem for Manchester City. And sorry, it's a problem for Arsenal. They just couldn't get themselves up. Talking of of players getting missing, Dave, uh, of players not stepping up. What did you make of the performance of of Mesut Özil? Because it didn't necessarily do anything to dispel the notion that he does disappear in these big games, especially compared to a player like Kevin De Bruyne, who is so influential on the opposing team. But at the same time, do you think it's maybe a little unfair to single out one player when he and his team were starved of possession? Or do you think maybe he should be stamping his authority on games like this and asserting his influence? It's a really interesting one, Mesut. Like, he played his best football in bigger games playing on the counter-attack. And, and today was supposedly one of those situations. Um, but again, Sanchez was the guy that, that was making the things happen on the counter-attack. The ball that he played for Walcott was absolutely brilliant. It was such a good start from Arsenal. And it was a shame that they didn't like push on. I think that's another thing that against Everton, Everton was so poor at the start of the game, they didn't push on. But I think Mesut has got a, potentially got a step up. I think he only created one chance in the game. Uh, failed to complete a cross, failed to complete a dribble, didn't have a shot on goal. So wasn't really good enough when you expect these big stars to to step up. But again, is it the players around him? Is it? I don't know. It's a difficult one for Mesut because he's he's been good, very good in some of the bigger games, but then he's gone missing recently. And in say in the last what nine months, he's gone missing. And if he can't find himself in these bigger games, and he's only a flat track bully, he's pretty much the same as Dimitri Payet. And that is you know that is an issue for for Arsenal because he, he's supposed to be their talisman going forward. Is that not part of the problem as well, though? Is that if he's not laying on goals, he's not doing a whole deal else? Well, I think that for me, the, the disappointing thing was Mezit was his, uh, the passing and, uh, you know, how many he completed in the final third. And today it was only something like he completed seven passes in the final third. For Mezit, that's atrocious. He's, he's usually up 20, 30 um, 
35 passes in the final third and he just wasn't in the game in that area. And I think that's the biggest issue for Arsenal is that because they sat potentially a little bit too deep in that first half, maybe they should have pressed for a little bit longer and put City under pressure because City was so, so poor and so sloppy in that first half, maybe doubling their advantage and then sitting back could have been a good option. Big win for Manchester City and Guardiola then. Uh, much needed, perhaps the only downside. Uh, Pablo Zabaleta suffering injury, which meant he had to be withdrawn at half-time. Looks like he's, he's done his knee in of some, of, uh, to some degree, which, while it is a shame, I would possibly say that Maffeo coming in could be interesting because he is, he is someone, from what I've seen, that is very talented and, speaking to people closer to City, is very highly rated. So there's a potential that he comes in and, and cements his place there. City up to second then um, after that win elsewhere today. Spurs winning 2-1 at home against Burnley. Um, pretty one-sided, I think it's fair to say, despite the result. Spurs, I believe, set a record for shots in a Premier League game this season. Uh, 19 on target, 30 in total in their 2-1 win. Interestingly, uh, Alderweireld out with a back injury, so Pochettino reverted from the back three that he used against Hull to a back four. Yet once again, um, the full-backs were crucial. Carl Walker with the assist for Ali's leveller. Uh, Danny Rose with the winner. What a man, Danny Rose is, by the way. Uh, one of the most, if not the most improved players under Pochettino since he came in. Um, once derided by most Spurs fans, but obviously now so so central to that team. Uh, both he and Walker once again providing the pace, the width and attack. And I think if you look at their average positions over the course of the batch, Rose is almost the furthest forward. I think only Kane um, ranked uh, further forward ahead of him on the pitch. And to round it off, I mean, Musa Zizoko with the assist for, for Rose's winner as well basically means he's now worth every penny. Right, Chris? <laughs> I mean, you tell me, you're the one watching him week in, week out. Um, I mean, listen to this. No substitute has provided more assists in the Premier League this season than Musa Sissoko. <laughs> yes, that's two assists. That. It's only two assists, but, you know, the stats don't lie. That's, no, that's, that's, that's not too bad, actually. No fair. I thought it was just the one. <laughs> it does raise an interesting question, though. Would you be content with him as that sort of man off the bench the guy who comes on maybe with 20-30 minutes to go and, and tries to change a game is that is that, is that exactly what he was bought for in my opinion yeah in that regard before. is it is it acceptable if he if he performs that role as a super sub to pay what you did because I imagine you can't get many players like that really can you there's not many I can think of who would would A be willing to play that role and B can actually do it no I think um as long as he continues to show that impact and that influence coming off the bench, um, if he can and can do that when he's given the opportunity to start, I think Spurs fans will start to to maybe soften their opinion on him. Um, still pretty controversial, not only for Spurs fans, but uh, for the opposition as well. Perhaps should have seen Red today, just moments before he did lay on that uh, the assist for Danny Rose. Um, so a controversial uh, win for Spurs, has to be said. Um but yeah, uh, another one for them, an important back-to-back -back wins for them, means they're up to fifth now, uh, just a point behind Arsenal after their result today. Do you take any mental points from the, the win against Burnley? Because when I saw you go down a goal, I thought, oh, this is peak Spurs, this. A team that really is shocking away from home has taken the lead of White Hart Lane. Um, yeah, I think so. I think um, Spurs if I'm not mistaken, have created the most chances or the joint most chances in the Premier League. So I, I personally was confident that uh, we were going to come back because despite some of our struggles and, and that sort of dodgy form that we, that dodgy run essentially that we're on, um, where we were failing to score goals, we do create a lot of chances. I think our problem is um, potentially uh, being clinical, finishing, Um Today, though, I thought, you know, with that defence, as you say, as poor as Burnley away from home, I was always confident that we were going to to come back and essentially win that one. So it's important to get those back-to-back -back wins, as I said, and it's important, uh, as I said last week, to sort of potentially take maximum points over this this Christmas period now because that's Hull and Burnley at home, uh, games you'd expect to win. Um, we've got Southampton away next and Watford at home before we face Chelsea uh, at White Hart Lane on the 4th of January. So I think now is a good opportunity, especially with of Manchester United hot on our heels to sort of uh, build up those points and build up the confidence and the form and the momentum um, into what will be uh, an important 2017. Um, elsewhere today, though, Southampton. Um, they are, as I said, away next for Spurs. Uh, the Saints going into that one on the back of a convincing 3-1 win over Bournemouth. Uh, a lack of goals has been 
a concern going into this one for Claude Puel, but Southampton actually scored as many goals today as they had in their last seven Premier League games combined. Uh, so a convincing win, a big win for them, lifting them up to seventh place. Jay Rodriguez, Dave, making only his third start of the season, uh, bringing the goals in the absence of the injured Charlie Austin. And that second one, the third goal for Southampton, was, uh, was an absolute screamer, wasn't it? It's absolutely sublime, and if Jay Rodriguez can get back to it, to the form that he showed before his injury, which was what probably like two years ago, where he was he was looking like one of the best young players in the Premier League. You know, at the edge of young, I'd say what twenty three years old, and then that injury's ruled him out. But he has the technique, he has the ability, and he showed that in that third goal. What a wonderful volley! Absolutely fantastic finish. But no, I think if Jay Rodriguez can stay fit, he's a he's a very very good player. You know, he's been around the champ. He was really on the championship for a while, scored a hatful of goals there, started scoring the goals for Southampton from the left side, obviously played through the middle today. Um, but I think it could be a good thing for for, um, for Southampton. It's a very youthful side. Hanson Reid again, um, starting for them, playing defensive midfield and having a pretty decent uh, game, getting through a lot of work. So it's it's a good good sort of phase for Southampton to be in Nathan Redmond's in there, Hoijberg, Buffel, Classy. It's quite an exciting time, for um, again, on the, the South Coast, again, considering who they lost in the summer, obviously losing their manager and so forth. So they once again have revived, survived another storm. Bournemouth, though, on the other hand, struggling for consistency. Um, they obviously beat Leicester last week, but that means that none of their six league wins this term have been followed up by another victory. So disappointing for Eddie Howe and his side at home. They obviously face Chelsea next on Boxing Day, so it may well not be a particularly Merry Christmas for them. However, the Blues will be out without Diego Costa, um, he picked up his fifth yellow card of the season in Saturday's 1-0 win over Palace. The Blues' 11th successive win, putting them nine points clear uh, over Christmas at the top of the table uh -oh. a year to the day after they sacked Jose Mourinho uh, with the club 16th and just a point above the relegation zone. It has been quite a turnaround, but the way things are shaping up, I mean, it feels like they're running away with it, doesn't it, Chris? It does. I think I think the the, the nature in which they beat Crystal Palace, it kind of cemented that because usually Palace is, is quite a difficult place to go. The fans are quite passionate. Um, the games in general feel, feel a lot closer or a lot more closed in, I think, because of the way that Sellers Park is built. And you have to say they, they did, I would say, dismantle them fairly easily. Um, I, I think the, the thing you can say about Chelsea is we look at a lot of these big teams and it's very easy to isolate the, the star turn or the key threat or the players that are most likely to define it. It's not as easy with, with Chelsea this season. There's a lot of different potential contributors. You've got Cesc Fabregas playing as, as a sort of number 10, if you will, picking spots, picking passes. Alonso and Moses, who, again, start of the season, no one was predicting anything sizable from them, are really dangerous down the flanks and have a nice, I would say, a nice blend of of real power with Moses, but then a little bit of culture with Alonso on the other side. And then the fact that Costa and Hazard uh, have transformed themselves so considerably compared to last season, I think on the one hand shows just how fractured the relationship was between Mourinho and the players, but also how impressive Conte is in terms of someone being able to rehabilitate that relationship. Mm. Um, overall, I, th I think it would be a, a tad too early to say that, you know, they are guaranteed to win the league because they will, I think potentially have another stumble, which is again, it's I think that's always when you you judge a team most is is how they react to that stumble that they face. Um, I think you would be just as naive in the same breath to to rule them out of the title race. So they are they are definitely involved in that just because of how effectively they're playing. It is remarkable how they have become the front runners in essence, Dave. I think the stack doing the round stable was that Antonio Conte is the first ever Premier League manager to win 14 of his first 17 games. Um, so just reinforcing just how impressive he has been at Chelsea. Uh, Chris obviously mentions uh, some of the forward players there, some of the options they have in midfield as well, but the defence has been very impressive for them. They've only now conceded two goals in their past 11 Premier League games since changing to that back three. Um, Azpilicueta, of course, who set up Costa for the opener, was probably the man of the match on Saturday. Obviously, David Luiz and even Gary Cahill, who was lambasted by Chelsea fans early in the season, uh, has been phenomenal. And it's that back line as well, um, just how rock solid it, solid it is that's been so crucial for Chelsea. Thank you. You know, I think you can look at the, the the clean sheets they've kept as well. What in those eleven games they've kept nine clean sheets. You know, they've won one nil a few times as well, more than a few times you could say. But Aspilicueta at the back's been 
been pretty good. He's the the player that's bringing the ball out. He's the playmaker. It's it's not really David Luiz. David Luiz is is a bit safer on the ball. And Aspilicueta is the guy that's coming out. It's quite interesting. I think it's similar to what Conte did at Juventus. I think he used to go with Barzagli. Um, that was before the days of uh, of Benucci, before they, they brought him in. I think Barzagli was the guy that used to bring the ball out. So I think it's quite similar there. But you saw how how well the, the back three does when you can, you know, when you're one of the players pushes into midfield. So much space. Nobody knows who's picking him up. And Aspil Equator had to add yards to pick out that ball for Diego Costa. But Chelsea have been very, very good. And obviously Conte um, picking up his uh, 11th win on the spin. It's quiz time now, guys. Who are the other three managers that have won 11 times in a row in the Premier League? Arsene Wenger. Yes, correct. Did it in 2003, 2004, I think. So Alex Ferguson. Yes, he did it twice. Once in 2009, once in 2011. And one more, did you say? One more, yeah. There's one more manager. <sighs> Jose Mourinho. Nope. <sighs> Go on, Chris. Alan Pardew. Nope. <laughs> uh, give us a clue. Come on. It's another team that played three at the back during that period. Played three at the back. They played three at the back, and then they got found out after that that eleventh game, and then teams just beat them the same way for the rest of that season. Give us another clue. Um, they played two forwards behind a striker, and one of them was Brazilian. Brendan Rodgers. Correct. Goal. Scored. Wow. Goal. I feel like yeah, Brendan Rodgers. I mean, we all love Brendan Rodgers. Um, for varying reasons, but it's almost like he doesn't belong in that company. Yeah, he does. But he does. I mean, he literally does. does. The results speak for themselves. Fair play, Brendan. Well done. Um, anyway, very impressive from Chelsea. As I said, nine points clear for them now. Um, also on Saturday, Manchester United, Dave, winning once again. Zlatan Ibrahimovic with two goals. Um, and I know now immediately whenever Zlatan scores, uh, before even the Premier League app sends me the score notification, a tweet pops up asking me how I'm feeling or if I've bought yeah. my hair dye yet. Right. Um, if you are unaware, myself and Dave, we have a little wager going. Um, I bet uh, in preseason that Zlatan would not score 20 league goals this season. Um, Dave thought otherwise. We agreed mm. the loser would have to dye their hair. I think we described it as messy Bleach blonde. Um, no, I think it was Phil Jones blonde at that time. I don't know if Messi had done it Jesus. or if Messi, Phil Jones copied Messi. I or believe it's Messi, full on bleach blonde, no holes barred. You know, um, Zlatan though has now scored <laughs> eleven goals after seventeen <laughs> league games. So it's getting tight. It's not looking good for me, Dave, but it's looking good for Manchester United. Yeah, it's definitely looking good for Manchester United. I think they're they're starting to really kick on now. I think they're starting to. Put games to bed, you know, the two the back-to-back clean sheets is a very uh, a good thing. Well, the, the three back-to-back sheets, clean sheets, we're going to count Zoyer as well. The defence looks a bit better. Phil Jones and Marcus Rowe have been absolutely awesome in the last six games. It's incredible. Phil Jones, obviously, uh, just marshalling the defence and, and just being a, a leader in there, winning a lot of key tackles, just making the right moves. And it's he's not in the game, which is a good thing. You're not, like, looking at him, oh, no, Phil Jones is going to make a mistake now. He's sort of calm and collective. But that going forward, I think Mourinho made the right decision the week before um, against uh, Crystal Palace. Sorry, the game before against Palace, uh, it was sort of playing two number tens inside, and then against um, West Brom at the weekend, using Jess Lingard to get behind the West Brom backline, which was a very very smart move for Mourinho. So at the start of the season, yeah, he got it wrong a few times. You'd say Chelsea got it massively wrong against Arsenal, not dealing with um, Oxley Chamberlain when he came on at right back was a little bit wrong. But he's starting to get it right and he's starting to, you know, have a feel for this squad. So it's looking good for Manchester United. One thing I would say, Adam, so you'll start on top, Tottenham Hotspur. Most shots on goal this season. Incorrect, unfortunately. Is it? Manchester oh. United against Burnley. We had 38 shots, I think. I like how you waited a good 10 minutes to, to mug me off. So we beat you there, but we didn't put the ball in the back of that, unlike you did twice. Uh, but I think with United, it'll, we'll move up the t- table and... Paul Pogba, you know, Herrera, Carrick is the best midfield. In terms of win rates with Michael Carrick, well, it's absolutely insane. With Michael Carrick in the side, United have won 85% of their games. With him out of the side, um, they've won 36% of their games. And in terms of sample size, if you know you want to bring that up, it's exactly the same. With Carrick, they've played 13 games. Without Carrick, they've played 14 games. Absolutely insane. Wow. Um, encouraging is the fact that that's now the third win on the bounce in the league for United. They'd only won three in their last 12 before that 
Um, of course, a chance for them to build momentum as well. They've got Sunderland at home next up on Boxing Day and Middlesbrough at home on New Year's Eve. Uh, probably the toughest fixture they've got coming up is against Liverpool at home, but that's not until the 15th of January. So uh, a good chance to build up ahead of steam. They're only three points behind Spurs now, um, who occupy fifth place. So everything's coming up Millhouse in many ways for Jose Mourinho and Manchester United. Uh, also on Saturday, Middlesbrough with a comfortable 3-0 win. Two goals from the beast himself, Alvaro Negredo getting back to form. But a result that strands Swansea in the relegation zone, Chris, on 12 points. Despite some recent, uh, recent positive performances uh, and the fact that, you know, we like Bob Bradley. Uh, friend of the show, as I like to say. Uh, the fact remains that they have the worst defensive record in the Premier League. Uh, 18 goals conceded, of course, in Bradley's six away games so far. And the pressure is starting to mount, isn't it, on the American? It is. I, th I think where he's going wrong, and I talked about this on, on Twitter last night, is I think he's trying to be a bit too expansive for the players that he's got. I think he is someone that very much likes to play out from the back, um, has a fairly modern approach in, in most regards. And the truth is the the defenders at his disposal are really middle-of-the-table championship quality for the most part. I think Angel Rangel's best seasons were behind him. I don't think Neil Taylor's pushed on. Um, I think Jordi Amat is a mistake waiting to happen. And and even Vanderhorn, I said this in the summer, it was a very bizarre signing at the time because this was not some huge Ajax prospect that they were picking up or someone that you know could potentially develop in a few years time it was again another kind of middle of the road kind of player so it's all a little bit bizarre in terms of the recruitment that's obviously not something Bradley can can influence I'm going to assume he gets till January at least maybe even February um, and he's got a fairly decent transfer record he, he's managed to unearth some gems now usually he's working on quite small budgets um, so theoretically that will change in the in the January window because I imagine Swansea have some money to spend in general their recruitment just needs to change from what I had heard it wasn't necessarily the recruitment team or the analysts and such like who were making all of the decisions it was a lot of the the board and the ownership who were signing these players so maybe they need to give control back to, to those analysts because for the most part when when Swansea have bought players since coming up into the Premier League, they've usually been fairly decent buys. I can't think of many huge wastes of money that they've made. If anything, they've tended to be quite shrewd in the market. I can't help but feel that even though the results have been poor, and as you point out, perhaps uh, Bradley is uh, deserving of some criticism in the way that he's setting out his team, there does seem to be a real disdain and a desire almost to see Bradley fail simply because he is an American coach. I mean, over here, it seems a certain section of football fans really aren't best pleased with the way he talks about football, the terminology he uses if there are certain American phrases he drops in here and there. And I mean, even Steven Gerrard this weekend, he, he came out on BT Sport and made some certain comments saying that he would rather, and believes Swansea's players, would rather play for someone like Ryan Giggs or Paul Clement than Bob Bradley. Um, I, I personally found that quite revealing in that he's talking about managers who have no top-level experience themselves. And for me, that betrays a slightly condescending nature from Gerard in that respect. It's mildly xenophobic as well. I mean, I, I say this about Paul Clement. At least he has worked at the highest level with a number of top clubs. So I can understand maybe putting him forward. But Ryan yeah, Giggs, but as a, as, as a, a, as a coach, has done, has done next to nothing, really. He got the Man United job briefly by default, not, not for any other reason. Um I think, honestly, statements like that reveal more about the person than they do the situation. I think, in general, the whole he says soccer, he says PK, it's all a little bit embarrassing for anyone that cites that as a genuine argument. And again, I've yet to see anything that breaks down his tactics and says, look, he shouldn't be doing this or he shouldn't be doing that. I've seen a lot of um, crowing at the words that he uses just because he's from abroad. Again, I saw similar when Josie Altidore came here. And people would kind of scoff at the fact he would say cleats instead of boots and little slight changes and, and little language differences like that. It's it's all just a little bit childish, personally. I think at this point we need to evolve a bit. We need to grow up and, and start actually analysing people on their merits and for the decisions they make rather than what we perceive uh, 
to be the right way to say things because ironically soccer is an english word it's not an american word i completely agree judge him on the results and the way he sets out his team as opposed to the way he says alan pardue you know um feels slightly unfair in that respect um some big fixtures coming up for them next uh boxing day they've got west ham at home uh, and Bournemouth at home after that on New Year's Eve um, could be a crucial period for them. Elsewhere this weekend, Sunderland moved off the bottom of the table. Uh, big win for them. Uh, they're within a point of safety now after victory over Watford at the Stadium of Light. Um, West Ham also winning 1-0 at home against Hull. Mark Noble, the hero once again. Um... Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Another unconvincing home win. However, for the Hammers, um, with defeat meaning Hull stay bottom at Christmas, while finally Leicester fought back from two goals down and a contentious Jamie Vardy red card, I might add, to draw two all Stoke. Um, the final game in this Premier League game week is, of course, Liverpool against Everton. Um, that's going on tonight. Uh, what are your predictions for this one, Dave, at Goodison Park? I think Liverpool are going to steamroll them. I think Everton, they, they were so slow against um, Arsenal that first half. And Liverpool, the best Liverpool sides of recent memory, and obviously under Jürgen Klopp, they've been brilliant. But under Brendan Rodgers, that, obviously that period when they won 11 in a row, they're very, very good at starting early in these bigger games. And I think that's something that Klopp's brought in with them. So I think if they can blast them in the first 15 minutes, it'll be game over. You know, it could be three goals up, four goals up in that time because Everton were just so slow. And you look at the pace that Liverpool have got up top and you're looking at Phil Jagielka, Ashley Williams, not the quickest players in the world. Seamus Coleman, Leighton Baines are spacing behind there. I think that Liverpool will just exploit that. So I think Liverpool are going to win this comfortably. Mm. Important game for Liverpool, Chris, uh, seeing as uh, Chelsea are nine points clear. Three points could import could be important for them in terms of that uh, need to assert themselves as title challengers. Could be uh, could be a few goals in this one. Both defences weak. They've both conceded 20 goals between them in their last 16 games. Uh, managed just seven clean sheets between them in that time as uh, as well. So uh, could be uh, could be a bit of a goal fest. Yeah, I think I think if you look back, this this game has has for the most part had goals in it the last few seasons, and I don't see that changing on Monday night. Um, as you say, they've both got defensive frailties. You've got the Carius Mignolet debate for Liverpool. Um, Everton, it's more surprising when you consider that Ashley Williams is is in that defence, and yet they still don't look that solid. So, if I'm tipping my hat one way or the other it's it's at Goodison am I right in saying it is indeed it is indeed that was part of the reason I thought Everton might be able to nick this just because they've got those kind of blood and thunder players um, they've, they've got those guys that aren't necessarily always looking to play out from the back they're happy just to get rid of the ball yeah. and sometimes I feel as if that Liverpool side is a little bit overcomplicated in their play needlessly and I look at someone like Carrius as well, or even Mignolet, and I see a potential mistake in, in both of them. Um, I wouldn't say it's by a massive margin that Everton have got it, but I would I would be likely to put my £5 on them if I had to. Two all. It's going to be. You heard it here first. Guys, that is your Premier League wrapped up. Let's go to Spain once again to talk all things La Liga with the one and only Robbie Dunn. So I'm here now with freelance journalist in Madrid, Robbie Dunn, our La Liga man. Uh, Robbie, how are you doing? I'm very good, yeah. Looking forward to Christmas. Yes, as we all are, as we all are. Um, firstly, we've got to talk, Robbie, about Atletico Madrid and the fact that last time we spoke, 
you completely jinxed them, I think it's fair to say. Uh, you described them as the best team in Europe. I think at the time that was probably fair enough. But since then, their form has been, been pretty patchy, to say the least. They got back to winning ways this weekend, though. And their first victory in four games in all competitions on Saturday. Uh, Sound of West Strike giving them a 1-0 win. But they are still nine points off the top of the table, Robbie, and potentially out of the title race at Christmas. Yeah, yeah. Uh, potentially, as in, if you mean to say they are out of the, the title race, I'd say you're, you're more um, accurate in saying it's, that. It's dead and buried. It's all over. I, I, I'd say so, yeah. But, um, yeah, I mean, I suppose you could point to a couple of uh, things as that, that have happened at Atletico that, that have led to this. One, Atletico have tried to evolve. And I think Diego Simeone is kind of struggling himself to kind of figure out what he wants this Atletico Madrid side to be. He had Coca in the centre and then against Real Madrid... Which was before, which was after I talked to you. Uh, Coca was pretty much ran off the field by Isco, and and, and Real Madrid dominated that game. And the result obviously um, d- didn't go Atletico's way either. And uh, he changed it again. Uh, brought back Thiago. He brought back the double six. Uh, Gabi was playing there. It was more defensive, but then they couldn't score. Um, so so you've got a tactical issue. Uh, also, you've got a. An issue there with Simeone's future himself when they, in September, uh, when the season had started, Simeone shortened his contract, which is one of the strangest, most bizarre moves. Uh, uh, like, I don't know why, I don't know, I can't understand really why they did that. But anyway, he, he's going to go to Inter Milan at the end of next year. But it just seems like... Uh, Diego Simeone's whole philosophy was partido a partido game by game they never looked ahead of themselves they never got ahead of themselves they could be playing uh, a, a team from the third division in the um, in the Copa del Rey and they'd be just dealing with that he wouldn't rotate he dealt with every game on a game by game basis and I think he kind of got ahead of himself Griezmann's looking towards the Premier League he's talking a lot about um, about uh, playing playing somewhere else and I think they just lost the run of themselves a little bit. And I think they need to kind of get back to that, which is something that they did. He, he reverted back to Coke in the centre. He dropped one Fran play. He, he played Sime Versalco at right back. Um, he, um, yeah, so Atletico are kind of back to the, the way that they were. And uh, they're going game by game now, which is something Gabby also said they needed to do. And maybe we might see a new Atletico Madrid as in the old Atletico Madrid in the next couple of weeks when the winter break is over and we get a return to football. Mm, it does seem they perhaps lost their focus in some ways. Um, maybe Diego Simeone struggling to find that balance between attack and defence. Um, worryingly, uh, as you mentioned there, Antoine Griezmann um, perhaps taking his eye off the ball. Um, his drought continued at the weekend, but did you see any uh, encouragement in that win against Las Palmas? Yeah, there was there was more of an urgency, I think, about Atletico Madrid, which is which is quite uh, again you need balance there because you can be urgent and you can have a sense of urgency, but that can also then lead to panic, which is 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 something that other teams can notice, and then you can get ahead of yourself and um, o- overrun balls, over uh, like you know just too much adrenaline running through the veins and. Yeah. That was something on display in the first half, but they did kind of calm down and. Again, if if you are a Diego Simeone side, you need that intensity. So they need to kind of just get back to that, and it might take a couple of weeks before they f- they get back into the groove. But yeah, like um, so, Manchester United want uh, Griezmann as a replacement for Rooney, and as we know, Rooney um, there's a, there was a big question mark questions over Rooney whether he was an out and out striker or whether he was a number ten, and what. The reason, another reason why Atletico had kind of uh, slumped a little bit was because Griezmann was playing far too deep. He was turned into more of a playmaker, and um, and uh, yeah, so United want him to replace Rooney, and that's a question mark that's going to not dog his career, but it's going to be something that he needs to sort out yeah. because you become a victim of your own versatility. Like Rooney has become, and he was shuttled out to the le- out to the right on, on occasion. He played as a striker, never got into the groove. Played as a ten. Um, so, so Griezmann, yeah, Griezmann was kind of closer to goal, uh, more more threatening, and well, he, he he's still not getting that bit of luck. It, it was slightly encouraging, I would say, yeah. But but the, the chances still aren't falling for him, and he does seem to be out of sync with his own, with um, with, with himself, I suppose. Yeah. 
Um, Atletico sixth then um, on 28 points further up the table Barcelona in second place they managed to reduce Madrid's lead at the top to three points going into the winter break uh, a Lionel Messi masterclass this one Robbie uh, a 4-1 win in the City derby against Espanyol yeah uh, Espanyol have been flying coming into this they were unbeaten in, in I think it was eight games they were unbeaten in and after kind of a shaky start under uh, Kike Sanchez Flores they, they had found a, a style that they were sticking to and they had found um, they had, their confidence was up and, and their tails were very much up heading to the new Camp on, um, on Sunday night but Barcelona just dismantled them and, and it's kind of uh, that's the way Barcelona's season has been going uh, kind of struggling against maybe some of the perceived weaker teams and then and then a, th- a game where they're kind of supposed to struggle and many people had Espanyol to maybe get a point from that game and they just uh, beat them for like they were 4-0 or 3-0 up before uh, Espanyol got off the mark and, and Messi was fabulous Suarez, and he linked up well with Suarez Suarez looked back to himself after signing a deal during the week he seems to kind of have his confidence back a little bit after not not struggling, but he he wasn't his his usual um his usual self in the last couple of weeks. But uh, yeah, Barcelona are, are um they're look at they're gonna they're gonna go uh, they're gonna go match Real Madrid step for step for the rest of the year. I would imagine. But there is still question marks hanging over them and their midfield is they're kind of starting to change a little bit. Ivan Rakitic has been dropped and uh, he, he had been sharing time with, with Andre Gomez. But Andre Gomez was dropped just the day before for technical reasons. He's not injured. He, he was just dropped out of the squad. And uh, so, so we figured Rakitic was going to play, but he didn't. Dennis Suarez played and uh, and Rakitic didn't even come off the bench so you're dealing with kind of a Busquets Iniesta uh, um, core and then you're uh, uh, Luis Enrique is trying to find his best player there whether it be Andre Gomez Rakitic who it doesn't seem to be um, uh, Rafinha uh, Dennis Suarez so and also then they've got uh, question marks at the back not question marks but they've got they had in a lot of injuries with Umtiti and uh, Mascherano I think has lost a step this year and he's still playing well and he's still solid but uh, it's kind of a question mark over who's his um, who's his best centre half pairing and also right back isn't their strongest position having signed Alex Vidal he didn't work out now Sergio Roberto who can be found out at times when he comes up against good left left wing left attacking midfielders so yeah there's question marks but they will match Real Madrid step for step and whether or not that's enough and whether or not Real Madrid drop points is another thing but Barcelona seem to be well not fully convinced and they're getting the job done yeah, a few question marks there. Uh, no question marks over Lionel Messi, though. I think uh, if you haven't seen his assist, essentially, for, for Suarez's second goal, sort of dances around four players, uh, do go and check it out because it's pretty pretty sensational. Um, also winning 4-1 this weekend, Sevilla. Uh, they end the year in third. Uh, four goals in the space of 11 minutes scored as they beat Malaga, Robbie. Yeah, there's, there's another side that have kind of failed to convince fully uh, Malaga this season that, that this game was uh, on paper supposed to be far closer than it was but time and time again it seems Malaga are letting us down when when, when we think that they're going to put up a challenge and and but, but this is what this Sevilla team or any Jorge Sampoli team is capable of doing like they'll just dismantle you and um, with Vitolo playing so well Luciano Vieto who, who's quite a frustrating player he uh, He's a frustrating player, but when 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 the ball bounces his way, he can be absolutely lethal in front of goals, and he got two. Uh, and then having Vitolo coming in off the left, uh, he, he's absolutely flying it this year, and has been in in in, in even last year as well. So, um, yeah, Sevilla, are another team who are going to match uh, Real Madrid step for step. Whether they have enough quality and and squad depth is another thing. But they were actually uh, recently linked with uh, Julian Draxler. Uh, from Wolfsburg, who uh, who uh, maybe Arsenal fans might know, uh, Real Madrid fans might know, uh, Sevilla. They're looking for that last component in their attack uh, that that's going to push them over the over the edge. And Draxler and Wolfsburg's situation is his his situation at um, at Wolfsburg has their their relationship has fallen apart. Uh, Wolfsburg are looking for something like 30 million euros. Sevilla aren't willing to pay that. So it looks like a loan deal might happen. Uh, and that would be huge for them. And that might see them kind of push them over the edge. for, uh, And then they'd have an option to buy. And if, if he does happen to uh, convince at Sevilla, they, uh, 
they, they buy him and then they're looking towards 2017 with a real eye on winning La Liga uh, competing in the Champions League deep into it and then uh, the Copa del Rey too so yeah Sevilla are a team on the up and obviously they've got Monchi there who, who's who uh, Sampoli is hoping that he brings him in he said he, he's hoping for some Monchi magic in the in the transfer window so whether whether he was hinting at a Draxler deal or a couple of other players they've got on their radar uh, but yeah they're, they're, they're convincing again against Malaga who who for all intents and purposes were supposed to put up put a challenge up but just didn't they folded a good way to end the year then for Sevilla a good way to end the year as well for Villarreal rounding out the top four they ended a three-month spell without an away win in all competitions with a 3-1 victory at Sporting Gijon meaning they will finish the year in the Champions League places but top of the table Real Madrid meanwhile uh, were of course in Japan this weekend beating Kashima Antlers to win the extremely important and highly prestigious FIFA Club World Cup uh, which basically means they get to put a, a shiny new gold badge on their kit and try and sell more shirts I think um, but my cynicism aside Robbie a uh, hat trick from Ronaldo capping off a perfect year for the Portuguese superstar and Real Madrid yeah that's it, it was interesting during the week it was kind of ironic. Ronaldo said that we didn't come to Japan for a holiday, and that was kind of the message that they were sending out, and they were making sure that they they, they were they weren't um, they weren't perceived to be taking the final lightly. But for the first half an hour, forty five minutes, that's exactly what it looked like. They started half decently, but uh, Ronaldo was just sluggish. Um, uh, some of the other players were just a step behind, and the Kashima Antlers were really well organized. They had said in the get in the in some of the pre-match press conferences that one of their defender Ueda said that he was going to be like a crocodile, is what he referred to himself as. He was going to drag. He was going to. They were going to drag Real Madrid into the water and just drown them. He said like they they were just going to. So for all, from what we knew, it was going to be a backs to the wall stuff. But actually, Kashima come out and were quite progressive. They they pushed, they they pressed Real Madrid. They forced them into mistakes, while also never compromising their their defence and never looking really that um, uh, that uh, vulnerable at the back. So what happened was a sluggish Real Madrid, a well organised and um, enthusiastic Kashima. And next thing you know, it was two two with ninety minutes to go, and a guy called Endo had a chance to win it at the end. And uh, Ramos should have been sent off before that. It was an action. It was an action packed game. When we were told it was going to be maybe four three four five nil to Real Madrid, and next thing we know, we're in extra time, and Real Madrid could have very easily been um, been going home with their with, with empty handed. Uh, Kashima were twenty one to one heading into the game. They were underdogs. Like I mean, like you rarely see in a two horse race. And uh, yeah, they put it up to Real Madrid, and but. This question comes in again whether whether Zidane is lucky or or whether he's just really do, knows what he's doing. They're thirty. It's a, they're on a thirty-seven game unbeaten streak, and if something keeps happening again and again and again, it's 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 not luck. Like so, yeah. Ronaldo started sluggishly, but he ended with a hat trick. Uh, the the that's their fifth uh, club international world cup uh, medal, which is the most as uh, which is more than any other team in the history. Uh, so yeah, they're they end they capped off an, an excellent 2016, and they're going to be coming in, coming out all guns blazing in January. So it'll be interesting to see uh, what happens with them. Whether 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 that look, and I I say that with in inverted commas that look that Dan Zidane has been finding continues or whether he gets found out uh, we'll be watching we'll be watching closely mm, that remains to be seen in 2017 uh, congratulations to Real Madrid and thank you once again Robbie for giving us the La Liga lowdown if the listeners want to find more of your work where can they find you on Twitter yeah just go to at Robbie J Dunn and I'll be happy to answer any of your questions or queries Thanks again to Robbie Dunn. What a wonderful man. Go and follow him on Twitter. Thanks so much for giving us the La Liga lowdown uh, elsewhere around Europe. Let's wrap things up. Let's go to France first off. Uh, Mario Balotelli scoring twice on his return to the starting lineup as Ligue 1 leaders. Nice stretched their advantage at the top to four points on Sunday with a 2-1 victory at home to Dijon, uh, making Nice's weekend even nicer. Chris, uh, bad results for both PSG and Monaco. Mm, so PSG lost 2-1 to Gongamp. 
Um, and they didn't take it or they didn't uh, pull any punches on the front of Lekeep on, on Sunday morning. Um, as we put up on our Twitter account, they titled it Le, Le Implosion. Um, apologies for the lack of French accent there. It was L'implosion or something, um, is that it? Yeah. yeah, it was definitely a poor game for, for PSG. Um, I think what made it worse was the fact that uh, Gongamp are coached by Antoine Kumbuare, I believe I'm saying that correctly, who is a former PSG coach and was, I would say, let go rather unceremoniously by the club in 2011. So a little bit of history there on the side note. In terms of Monaco, they've been really rampant at home of late. Um, They've scored, I think, the most goals in Europe um, this season. And yet there was just nothing went right about the game against uh, Lyon on Sunday, they were reduced to 10 men when uh, I think it was Benjamin Mendy was sent off. Um, granted, Leon did miss a penalty, but for the most part, Leon were in control. Because Gazelle, I'm sure Dave will correct me if I'm wrong there. Gazelle, I thought he was very impressive. Um, again, Lacazette is Lacazette in that regard. I, I'd be very surprised if a club's not tempted by him in the summer because I think January might be a bit too early. But all of this means in the grand scheme of things, that Nice will finish top of the autumn championship, if you will. They will finish top at Christmas, um, which is a heck of an achievement when you consider it that they lost their talisman in Ben Arthur in the summer and seem to have all but replaced him with Balotelli, mm. who is a very different player, it's worth knowing as well. I mean, on PSG as well, I mean, uh, like I say, fair play to Nice, they are four points ahead of, of Monaco, who are in second uh, and nine ahead of PSG in third. Uh, PSG, though, I mean, uh, the pressure is starting to mount on Unai Emery as well. It's only one point from their last three league games, uh, and they've only won one in the last five overall. Um, it seems like he's, he's he's struggling to 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 get his ideas across. Maybe Chris, I mean, could it be long before we see him? Perhaps um, moved on at PSG. <sighs> I never like to push for, for coaches to be sacked and I never like to even lean on that side because he hasn't had a huge amount of time. It's very difficult to see how he lasts if things maintain because the one given I feel like PSG have had in the last few seasons is domestic dominance. And the idea was you bring Emery in to improve their European standing and how they do in the Champions League. Um, there still potentially does that. I think what didn't help him was the performance and result against Ludogorets because they very much snatched a draw in that game. They were very lucky to get away with a draw. And in general, it was it kind of pointed towards the reliance on Cavani. Um, if you look at the numbers, I, th- I think it was Lekeep again put out a graphic on Sunday looking at the percentage numbers of how reliant PSG are on Cavani's goals compared to Ibrahimovic's. And there is a spike in favour of Cavani that they are relying on him a little bit more heavily. And when you consider, and I know Dave's talked about this, that he's not the most clinical of finishers, that he does need a handful of chances to put a few away, that's not the perfect recipe for success in my eyes. So it's difficult, as I say, to see him staying long-term if things maintain the way they are, just because of the exceptionally high standards that PSG have. Mm. Uh, remains to be seen then for Unai Emery if he can improve that domestic form and of course uh, the Champions League clash with Barcelona coming up in March could be crucial there Uh, let's go to Italy Dave Uh, a big big game this weekend Juventus against Roma what happened well Adam it was a it was a really really good game it was a really Italian game I love Italian football how it's it's different to Premier League football and you know, the things that you speak to your mates about the pub, you know, when you're watching the football at your pub and you have someone dives and stuff and they're like, oh, what's he doing? Get up, he's so soft. I quite like that side of football. And this was perfect in terms of that tactical fouls, people going down. But the game was of, of really good quality and it was won by a brilliant moment from Gonzalo Higuain. He completely stole the show by a single moment. Um, and there was a really interesting bit that came out yesterday. So basically he took the ball, um, got past De Rossi, um, and then went past Manalas. And there was something that came out today that he said he was studying what Manalas does and realises that Manalas goes to ground a lot. Um, so what he did, he, he took an extra touch and smashed the ball into the back of net. It was one hell of a finish. And that's what Gonzalo Higuain is. He's just a goal scorer, left foot, right foot, whatever. And he that, that, real, that moment there really 
obviously got here, you've had the three points because they just sat back after that and they were so well in terms of their defensive organisation. It was absolutely perfect. They started with a diamond. They pressed um, Roma really high. They they broke out. They you know they broke their attacking flow. De Rossi picked up a booking who was playing defensive midfield because of the pressure because uh, Juve nicked it and then he had to bring him down. So it was all good for that. And then obviously the counter attack. De Rossi can't bring anyone down. But then they switched to a flat four in midfield. They sat deep and they just counter attacked. Storaro was absolutely brilliant. The next Gattuso, hundred percent. He's the same feisty character wow. playing on the the left hand side instead of playing on the right hand side. Gattuso, you know when he's playing in that three-man midfield with Pirlo and, uh, you know, Ambrosini, Sadoff or whoever, um, was more right-sided. You know, Storaro's more left-sided and he's sort of coming to where Paul Pogba was playing last season and he's a very different player to Paul Pogba. He's more of a, a terrier. He's, he's, you know, he will bite your ankles and I loved his, his tenaciousness in the tackle but also committing fouls. I think he committed five fouls in the opponent's half and he, he got picked up a single booking. It was incredible. It, it, it was all tactical fouls but they were all like, just enough not to get booked for. Maybe the referee should have picked him up earlier on, but it was fantastic for him. And the bat line, Regani looking really good against the next to Chiellini. And this Juve team pretty much already won the league for me. It's, it's over. Seven points clear against this Juve team. You ain't going to catch that back up. Seven points clear at Christmas, as you say there, for Juventus. Um, elsewhere in Serie A, Dries Mertens put four goals past Joe Hart's Torino as they shall now and forever be known. Uh, Napoli winning 5-3 to move up to third in the table. Um, Chris, you've got a stat on that uh, that Dries Mertens performance, haven't you? It's the first time that back-to-back hat-tricks have been scored in Serie A since 74. Now, there is a little bit of debate about this. So, Opta Paolo, who is the Italian arm of Opta, tweeted out it's the first time since 95-94. Or 94-95, to say it properly. Oh. Um, but the Telegraph, the Dutch paper, claims that Pietro Anastasi um, was the last to do it in 1974. Um, and Pietro was playing for, funnily enough, uh, Juventus. Ooh. Um. He is a former Italian international that finished his career with Lugano. There you go, guys. I mean, I don't know who to believe. I'm going to go for, I'm going to go for Opta Paolo because he's never let me down before. Um, great man, great hair. Um, <laughs> they are up to seventh place. Um, no, sorry, I'm going to just mm, say that again. Up to third now, Napoli after that win. Um, elsewhere, Antonio Candreva scoring a second-half winner as Inter Milan edged past Sassuolo 1-0 on Sunday to give Stefano Pioli his first away victory since he replaced Frank de Boer as Nerazzurri coach. Uh, Inter now up to seventh place in Serie A. Uh, let's go to Germany in the Bundesliga. Leipzig got back to winning ways with a 2-0 win over high-flying Hertha Berlin. Um, Bayern Munich stay top, though after Douglas Costa's sensational strike uh, secured a 1-0 win over bottom-placed Darmstadt. How would, you, how would you describe that strike, Dave? Worth. Just worth. Um, that's what you can say. It was a, it was a banger. Absolute banger. Absolute Short free kick. And he banger. pings in from like 30 yards, top corner. is unbelievable. Brilliant brilliant goal for you know to win a game. Borussia Dortmund, meanwhile, twice came back from a goal down uh, to draw two all at Hoffenheim. Cracker of a game, that. Yeah. Um, Marco Royce seeing red um but Dortmund as I said still managing to come back from from behind twice to to secure that draw that is back-to-back draws now though for BVB leaving them 10 points adrift of the leaders Bayern Munich uh, going in to Christmas um let's finish off guys let's wrap up with TF3 player of the week um we put our nominations forward. I went for, for Kevin De Bruyne. Uh, very impressed with him today against Arsenal. Thought he was the best player on the pitch. Um, Chris nominated Dries Mertens, uh, of course, for that hat-trick uh, and his very impressive performance for Napoli. Dave went for Gonzalo Higuain. Um, there were shouts on Twitter for, for Cristiano Ronaldo. Um, he becomes the first ever player, I think, to, in the same year, win the Club World Cup the Ballon d'Or, the Champions League, and the European Championship. Um, so very impressive for him. He didn't get the nod. Uh, Zlatan Ibrahimovic, of course, um, was another shout on Twitter. Uh, two games this week, three goals. Uh, yes. Leroy Sané shouted out as well. 
I think there's Latan one. He he was he's been good. He's been clinical, and that's it. His overall play not as good as it has been. So his standards um, are less than what he's done. You know, in terms of creativity, he's not been up to his creative levels because he was ridiculous the last few weeks, and that sort of dropped off. But in terms of his clinical finishing, he's been mm. brilliant. Well, I hope that drops off. To be honest, um, John Gibbons writing in though he said he'd be disappointed if Mertens doesn't win. I think English fans may choose KDB though, as they won't have seen Mertens' performance. John, you'll be glad to know that Dries Mertens has absolutely smashed the Twitter poll. Sixty-four percent of the votes for the Napoli star man this weekend. Uh, second place, Kevin De Bruyne with twenty-one percent, and Gonzalo Higuain in last with fifteen percent. Um, so there you have it guys Dries Mertens is the TF3 player of the week thanks for voting for that one on Twitter for now though that is all we've got time for thank you so much for joining us for this weekend review we'll be back on Thursday uh, the 22nd um, a pre-Christmas Q&A um, a bumper edition I think it's fair to say it will be. And we'll also be back on Boxing Day the 26th uh, we'll be doing a weekend review in the evening um, until Thursday, though, Dave, where can the good people, where can the whole find you? Uh, Google. Start yeah. Dave, easy. Just Google it. See it's what easy, happens. lads. It is, is it easy. Uh, Chris? Uh, front three. I do a bit of the social media, so see if you can guess which one of us it is. That's always fun. Oh, it's always fun. Um, <laughs> guys, you can find me on Twitter at Adam Boltwood until... Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Thursday. Have a bloody great week and thank you for listening. 